No man is an island. You've probably heard this term. You would have heard it in a number of ways. Maybe you know the poem by John Donne. Uh, I could read it, but, half, but most of us wouldn't even know what it means uh, because some of the words that are, that are there. Uh, but that phrase has become such, such, a, such an iconic thing. It's been, it's been tied into so many other things. But no man is an island. Just keep that thought in your mind. I have three kids, uh, age six and a half, nine, and 12. And for most of the last 12 years, we just couldn't wait until they became independent of us physically, right? We, you know, we're almost at that stage now, six and a half year old. We don't ha she doesn't necessarily come into our, into our room in the morning, you know, where's my breakfast on, on a Saturday? You know, we can say, you know, go get a banana or something. Um, you know, so we're almost at that, at that stage. Um, and uh, you know, where they can do things on their own. And it's, you know, it's very self-satisfying for them to, do, to be able to do that kind of stuff, be able to do the things on their own. They can say, I did it myself. You know, I don't need you, Daddy, uh, to do all these things. There are some things, of course, she, they do need me. When they get tired in the evening and they're too tired to brush their teeth or too tired to go up the stairs to bed, all of a sudden they really need Daddy. Of course, that helps me feel needed. But each of them couldn't also wait to go to the corner store. We have a, we have a, a store, it's maybe 100 meters from the gate of our, of our building. But we set seven as the age at which they could go on their own. And they just couldn't wait for that age seven. Lucy can go with her, with her older brother and sister, but they have to go together and that, that kind of stuff. But they couldn't wait to get to that, that, uh, that stage of independence. You know, we teach our kids independence. Independence is, independence is a good thing. You know, and we teach them this independence so that they can actually look after themselves, uh, particularly as they grow older. We love independence. We have songs about it, even. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. You're going to go home. You're going to have a whole bunch of songs you're going to want to listen to as soon as you get home. You know, the lyrics there, in case you didn't hear them, I've lived the life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And of course, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. We talk about, you know, it's being the me generation or a me culture. You know, I did it my way, not your way, but my way. But I don't want nobody to kick me nothing. And he sings that about five times, just all that sort of thing, before he sings anything else. But I'll, I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door, I'll get it myself. He has another, another phrase later on, go to, got to get myself together. So many things I got to do, so many things I got to do, I don't need no help from you. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life and leave me alone. I got one more for you. It's my life. It's now never. I ain't gonna live it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't gonna live forever. I just wanna live while I'm alive, and then it's my life. <laughs> 
quite a, quite a bit in there. So, you know, these are great tunes. You know, these are songs that a lot of us really, you know, maybe you want those in your playlist. Maybe some of them you don't. You don't think they're very good songs. Um, but, you know, I, I enjoy all of these songs. We love our independence. And independence is a good thing, yet we seem to have got this idea that our happiness comes from being independent. You know, we want to be financially independent, we want to be relationally independent, and any, any possible way, we seem to want to be independent. But there's a reason for the pro that, there's a reason that uh, despite all this independence, we are an incredibly unhappy society. And there's a reason for that, and that is we're not meant for that. It's not, it, we're not meant to be independent of everyone else. We're not meant to be in isolation for everyone. We're simply not wired for it. Last week, we talked a little bit about when God created the, created the entire universe. Even before, he, before God created man, he said, let us create, God, create man in our image. God says, in our image. Now, if you've been around the church any period of time, you know that when we talk about God and he's saying our, he's talking about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Even from the beginning, there's a sense of community. Let's create him in our image. And the reflection, therefore, being if he's in our image, he's to be something like us, then there's going to be this idea of community as well. And then he goes on later on. I think it's in Genesis 2. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he created woman. And then we had the stuff that we talked about last week as well. In 1943, a gentleman by the name of Abraham Maslow came up with what we, we tend to call Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He suggested that there were several levels of which are, are several levels successively uh, that we need. Now, it's not, you're not simply in one level or the other, he, 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 he said. Uh, you can be in some simultaneous levels at one time, but there are a certain uh, level of needs and certain order of needs that tend to Follow, especially with healthy, healthy people. The physiological being the first ones, we need food, we need water, we need, we, we need things that keep us alive physically. Beyond that, we need a, we need a sense of safety, security. We need to know that, uh, that, that our harm isn't going to come to us. And after that is love and belonging. We need that love and belonging. Um, an extreme example of uh, a lack of this uh, might be in prisons. You've, you guys have seen movies where, where people are thrown into, into solitary confinement or the hole, as is sometimes called in films. Studies have been done on people that have been in, this, have been in prison, in, the, in solitary confinement, for extended periods of time, uh, considering what it actually goes on with them. In one study done by a group from Harvard, uh, they found that a third of solitary inmates were actively psychotic and or acutely suicidal after having been in there for a while. Uh, Grassian has since concluded that solitary, solitary confinement can cause a specific psychiatric syndrome characterized by hallucinations, panic attacks, overt paranoia, diminished impulse control, hypersensitivity to external stimuli, and difficulties with thinking, concentration, and memory. Some inmates lose the ability to maintain a state of alertness, while others develop crippling obsessions. We're not made to be alone. We're not made, we are made to belong. We need others to walk with us, we need others to work with us, and we need others to walk with us. Time and time again in scripture we're told uh, that we need to do things together, together. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all the way through there. To one another, one another, one another. Love one another, care for one another. It's all through there, uh, just repeatedly. But 
King Solomon maybe said it best in Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So he talks a lot about the needs that are in there and the, the, the benefits to being in, in that kind of a, a relationship. Most, most of it, he's just talking about two. Then, of course, at the end here, even, he even adds a third one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. God uses people to form people. That's why when, in, in, in any relationship, any time that we talk, it's not simply a human-to-human interaction. There are real things being formed here, and God desires to be powerfully at work in, in every, every encounter that we have uh, with, one in, with one another. And that brings me to the text that I want to focus on this, the, today, which is uh, Hebrews uh, 10, 24 to 25. Now, when Hebrews was written, um, there was no popular support for Christians. He, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, not that, that doesn't really matter. We, know, we, we believe what is there is true. Uh, but at the time, there was no popular support for Christians. Christ, Christianity wasn't the dominant culture. There was no support system for them. They were still very much a persecuted church. Um, and you know, some were giving, giving up on being a Christian. Some were falling away. You know, possibly out of fear of persecution of fellow Jews, uh, maybe some that weren't that were Gentiles, they, the non-Jews. Maybe they had other reasons for, for falling away. But we know that people were falling falling away. And so, at this particular point, um, the author of Hebrews writes in verses 10, 20, uh, 10, chapter ten, twenty four to twenty five. He says, "And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up." meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's read that again. Read it with me. Read, read, let me follow me here. And let us consider how we may spur one on toward love and good deeds, not giving a meeting, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. One another. Encourage one another. Meeting together. You know, the verse here doesn't say, let us love one another and do good deeds. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This is a very active thing here. It's not, it's not just, uh, we're just going to sort of sit back and, yay, that'd be great. There's a real active thing here. To, to let, it, let us intentionally consider, let us intentionally think about what we can do with this person to spur them on here. And many have used the word provoke is maybe even a better word here. Provoke, prod, push. How can we, or stir up is actually another one. How can we get them to do, how can we get them to love and do good deeds themselves? Of course, it stands to reason if somebody else needs us to do this for them, then we need it from others as well. You know, when I was growing up, uh, I heard verse 25 uh, a fair bit. I don't know that I heard it from my parents a whole lot, but I, I remember hearing it quite a bit in church and uh, di- different groups that I was in. Uh, but there was never really a reason given for it. It was simply, well, I guess it says it there, so we just must do it. Um, there was never really a reason for it. We just were like, all right, I guess that was it. But, you know, here in this passage, it's, and it's talking much more than just the, uh, what we tend to think of as the church gathering, which is what we have on Sunday mornings. 
This is much more than that. This is saying it's a, it's a continuous thing. There's more to it than just uh, what you do on a Sunday morning. You know, we do this as a, it's a, it's a spiritual discipline that's good for us, but here it's talking about a smaller group outside of, uh, outside of the Sunday stuff. Let us continue to do these sort of things. You know, there are things that will happen in a small group that can't happen in a group like this. A group like this tends to be too big. We're all facing forward. We're shoulder to shoulder. There's simply things. It's difficult to be as vulnerable. Uh, some of us, that, that's, it's a big thing to be in a group like this and really be uh, open with uh, a lot of things that are going on in our lives. But being in a smaller group allows us to uh, be more vulnerable, allow others to encourage us, allow, us, allow them to spur one another, allow them to spur us, and allow us to spur them uh, onto good deeds. Circles are better than rows, some people say. You know, they, when you're face-to-face, it's, it's a different interaction than when, you, when, when you're shoulder to shoulder. You know, we love what we're doing here, but this is just one part of, uh, of the Christian life. Uh, more, more is needed than what we just do here. You know, when we, when we remove ourselves from these relationships, either small or big, um, you know, we are letting others down. You know, we're not considering others, we're not spurring them on towards love and good deeds, and we're not allowing them to spur us uh, onto uh, love and good deeds. We're shortchanging them. You know, I, I can promise you that outside of community, you will not be happy. Your spiritual life will suffer, and because the spiritual life, not that there is actually a separate spiritual life from your other life, but the spiritual life is the core of, of, of your existence and who you are and how you live. Outside of that, you just won't be happy. You can't live outside of community. You will not be happy living independently of a group of Christ followers. Eugene Peterson said, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. I am not myself by myself. Myself being all that you are, all the gifts, the abilities, the talents that God has given you, the experiences that he's brought you through your whole life, good and bad, the way that he's made you, the way that he's wired you, all these things, this is who you are, and this is who he wants to take and become an even better version of that, even more like him, My, the, be the best myself I can be, you can be. You know, we sometimes treat community like it's a safety net under a tightrope walker rather than the tightrope itself. We just think of it as a safety net. You know, if something bad happens, I've got community to fall back on. But the Bible seems to continually point that, the, that community is the tightrope itself. It's the only way you can go forward. It's not just a safety net. It is our, it is our existence. It is how we survive. We're created for community, we're redeemed in community, and we're transformed in community. Transformation happens in community. Apart from that, it won't happen. Now, my sense is that in our age of technology, a lot of us, especially now, rely on electronic or digital means of communication. You know, we, we Facebook message each other, or we'll email each other, we'll SMS each other. My favorite is WhatsApping each other. Uh, that's the one I probably use the most. Uh, or, yeah, I said email. Um, there are so many times when I probably could have saved myself a whole lot of messages 
if I'd simply called or met with somebody because you end up writing more and then you misunderstand and then, oh, you know, um, or, or you, you, you start panicking instead of just calling them up and talking to them or meeting with them face to face, which has actually become more and more my favorite thing. There's, there's so much more that can be done face to face. There's no substitute for the face to face uh, communication, especially over the last year I've learned that. Now imagine what it would look like if we had a group of people if you joined a group of people in, uh, uh, in this community that you could encourage, that could encourage you, you could uh, encourage you to be, more, to, grow, to be more like Jesus, imagine a group with whom you could depend on to lift you up, to check in on you, to love you, and care for you when you feel as though everyone else may be against you, or everything else, everything else might be against you. Is that something that you'd like to be a part of? I think most of us would. And we're not just talking about a Bible study. You know, this is living the life that God's planned for us. There's much more than that. This is the life that he desires for us, the way, the way that he's wired for us, that he's wired us. In the summer of 89, I came to Poland for the very first time. We spent most of our time up in the northwest, uh, up in the northwest, kind of near Szczecin. And... Um, I had for several months really been craving um, some real spiritual growth. Now, I'd grown up in a Christian home, but it just, it was just kind of, it was, my Christian home was good, but my own faith was rather, was rather nominal um, through that period of time. And I had really just become a Christian in April. I came here in July. Um, but I, and I, during this time, though, I'd been really craving sort of a real jolt of spiritual growth. And I just wasn't, wasn't feeling as though I was getting that with my school friends who were rather much more interested in other things at that point. Um, and I just didn't feel as though I could relate with my friends in this way. Um, but when I came to Poland, uh, I was around this group of teenagers at different stage, at different, you know, slightly different ages, but we were all late, you know, late, mid to late teens. Um, and it was an incredible time of spiritual growth for me because I was around people that were interested in growing spiritually. We were doing life together. We had a, we had a time of devotions each day individual, as, uh, as individuals. Um, and it was an incredible spirit, period of time for growth for me. I did three more, two more trips actually after that too. Um, and each time was almost like a spike in my spiritual growth. You know, we were in close community uh, with tremendous regularity. We're in contact and sometimes we'd be taught, we'd have spiritual conversations on the, on the work site as we were, as we were doing construction but it allowed me to be inspired and encouraged uh, by those around me of a similar mindset. Other people that wanted, wanted, wanted to grow as well. And of course, I had a regular time at devotions. We were literally doing life together. We're sleeping in the same rooms, we're getting up, we do everything together. You didn't go anywhere without somebody else, uh, no, no matter what. Um, and it's in those times that we really depend on each other, uh, push each other, love each other, uh, and encourage each other that we can really, really grow. You know, if this is something that you want, I mentioned before, we have the communication cards and you can write on there that you'd like to be a part of a small group. Um, you know, we have a few hosts already in the, in the northern half of the city. Um, so if you fill that in, we can possibly put you in the group that's closest to you. Maybe you already know of a group that you'd like to be a part of. We really believe that this is something that we need to be doing. Something much more than simply an hour on Sunday um, a time where you can really be spending time in prayer with each other, um, maybe eating together, um, studying the Word together, studying the Bible together. Um, it's really having that time where you can really develop some, some close relationships that you can rely on and that you, give you an opportunity uh, to pour into other people's lives as well. Now, if you're not sure that you're ready for this, uh, I would ask you to do this. Maybe each day this week, uh, at least once, 
pray that God would confirm or dismiss uh, the, the idea, uh, which, whichever it is, what, he, what he'd like you to do. Is this something he, that he would like you to join and be a part of? Let me read that again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, uh, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, community is our primary context for mission, for what we're set here on earth to do. Our outward focus as believers. Uh, God wants us to use our community. He wants us to use it despite our mess, uh, our flaws, our troubles, our mistakes, our brokenness, uh, all these things. He wants to draw us into his story and in, in draw other people into his story and introduce them to Jesus. It's, it's, it's about us becoming more like Jesus, but it's about people who don't know him coming, into him, uh, coming to know him as their Savior and Lord as well. And that is something that we will talk more about next week. Let me pray for us as we close. God, we thank you for um, the way that you have made us, the wonderful way that you've made us. Um, we thank you for the people that we have around us to encourage us, to push us uh, already. Maybe some of us don't have that yet, though, God. Uh, I pray that if that's the case, that um, you'd really, uh, really push us uh, to find people, to join a group, to uh, grab a few people that, that we could really uh, begin to be vulnerable with, develop relationship with, um, and spur one another uh, on and love one another in that context. God, we thank you so much for what you're going to do through the, through the relationships that we have and that we are going to establish uh, very soon. Be at work in our lives this week as we seek to live in community, and we seek to expand your kingdom, God. We thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen.